back, we're back, we're back, we're doing it. Uh, this is the JCAS. With? Me, Nick Helm? With you? I, I've never, I haven't quite got the hang of that bit yet. No, I've done it in a weird way. Uh, yeah, I'd, yeah, 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 it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, with me, Nick Helm. And <laughs> <laughs> welcome to another edition of uh, uh, oh, oh, Consume and Obey. That's what we didn't do. No, we didn't. We didn't do that in the last episode. Well, we'll do that in some sort of opening credits, I imagine. Yeah, and like I say, you know, I've put coasters down, but still be really kind of delicate when you um, slam that mug around. Yeah, maybe keep it on the floor, actually. That's an even better idea. Um, I just want... People to know I'm doing my best. Um, uh, so, hey, uh, welcome back to the Clubhouse Clubhouse. Um, uh, my name is Nick Helm and this is... Nathaniel McCarth. And you're listening to Consume, Consume and, and Obey. Uh, one of the uh, uh, offshoots from the Umbrella Corporation that is... The JCAS. The John Carpenter Appreciation Society. Um, yeah, so uh, we, I, I've climbed up my uh, my that rope. It's I, filthy. It's absolutely filthy. There's flies all around it this week. I it don't would know. be. It's absolutely, absolutely disgusting. How did you get up here again? I just used the rope ladder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, okay, well maybe maybe. Oh no, I'll, I'm I'm happy with my lot in life. That's fine with my shitty rope. <laughs> Um, so uh, we've um, we've just we, we're basically test running <laughs> my new podcasting equipment, and um, uh, if you can hear this, it's working. So if you can hear this, uh, it's great. If 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 you can hear it, but you think it needs some sort of like, I mean, as I'm saying this. Nathaniel has reached down and he's just... He's not wearing headphones, which I think is the problem. But as I'm talking about technical problems, he's used this as an opportunity to start banging his mic stand. I can't... I can't can't do this on my own, but um, it's not helping today. Um, That's me now, banging away at my... Do you know what... We'll get a new table. I'll get a new. I'll get a new table. I'll get a new fucking. Do you know what? I'll buy a studio. I'll buy an actual studio that we can sit in and do it properly. <laughs> Fine. All right. But anyway, um, we ran out of time in the last episode. Um, so the, 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 a basic concept of the show, I think, is that um, me and Nathaniel will consume. Uh, and you write in suggestions of what we could be watching or yeah. should be watching, and we'll try and obey to some sort of. We basically came up with a title and uh, fit in a podcast. But now. if you listen to our last show, pod, uh, it was like a radio show slash. I don't know. It's still available. If you listen to Nick and Nat's fan club, it's it's not that. It's not that legally. <laughs> legally, it's not that. It isn't that. It's completely different. But. Um, but you know, it's that. <laughs> so, um, so what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, I've been doing what I do every week—very little—and just watch films. What happened? Um, what happened about that water leak that you were talking about in the last? It's ongoing. 
It's ongoing. It's a saga. Yeah. What have you been up to? Not even in the last week. What have you been up to since our last show? I've been worrying really about that water leak. Not surprised. <laughs> um, um, uh, right. Well, basically, we we ran it. We bad time management, but now we have the ability to just do. Um, ongoing indefinite podcast we too do, many we do it forever now uh, and so what happened was uh, last week's episode or the last episode was meant to be the halloween end special yeah but we ran out of time to talk about halloween ends so instead we talked about the steve martin movie rock um uh, uh water lake uh netflix and how you lost your card, but it was in your pocket all the whole time. It, it was in my pocket the whole time. And maybe that's kind of like, you know what? If you lose your your bank card or your 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 will to live or uh, if you lose hold of your confidence. dreams. If you lose hold of your confidence or your dreams, mm-hmm. um, maybe check your pockets first because it might mm-hmm. be that they're in your pockets. The whole time. The whole time. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, I would say if you're about to listen to this episode and you haven't listened to the last episode, this is very much a continual... This is part two. This is part two. We don't normally do uh, two-parters. Well, we don't know yet. We might end up doing this loads. This is episode three, and uh, this is our first part two. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, we're incapable of doing anything right and proper. Fucking! Some people will be listening to this podcast going, it's not a podcast. It is. I'm, I'd argue it I'm is. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure it is. There might be some other comedians listening in. <laughs> Listen, we're learning. We're, and we don't eat bacon on air anymore. I do. I do. It's episode three, part two of episode two. Halloween episode ends three. Um, I, I might I might eat bacon again on, 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 on mic. One, I've got a hot mic. I might do that, <laughs> but um, but I might not. But if anyone's listening in, judging us, you know, um, I'd just say we're enjoying ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I've got to say to you. When's yeah. the last time yeah. you enjoyed yourself? Yeah, you take a stick out your ass and yeah. eat some bacon. Take 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 the knotted rope out your ass and climb, climb up. up and join us. And join us. That's that's. Uh, <laughs> managed to make everything into a positive so far yeah so um here we are so uh yeah um we were talking about um we were talking about halloween uh ends at the end of last episode and we, we weren't really we built up we built up to it maybe we should do another recap of the halloween franchise <laughs> if you want to hear a for if you want to hear a recap of the halloween franchise listen to the end of last episode but also there are loads of uh you, you can go online and, and find and find that any way you want, really. You don't need to take our word for it. Um, I guess it's time for fan mail. Okay. Uh, Just so you all know, right, the basic format is, right? Yeah. We'll tell you what the show is. We we, we did it this episode. We didn't do it last episode. So we'll tell you what the show is. Then we... Have a, 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 a little discussion about stuff that may have happened to us in the last week. Nothing's happened because this is literally ten minutes after the last last one, last one that we recorded. Get a bit nearer to your microphone. Now, um, uh, then we go into fan mail, and then we talk about what we've seen. And this show is basically just us talking about what we've seen, uh, what films we've watched. It tends to be films rather than TV shows. 
Um, and I think it's only right in episode three that we just really lay down the law and tell you that this is what it's going to be. And if you don't like it, this isn't the podcast for you. Um, but uh, we uh, we do have like a, an email address for you too. <laughs> You've got your own fan mail. So so please write in uh, to Nick and Nat JCAS mm-hmm. at gmail.com that is n-i-c-k-a-n-d-n-a-t-j-c-a-s at symbol g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m if anyone's confused there and thought it was nick and nats g-j-c-a it's not it's n-i-c-k-a-n-d-n-a-t-j-c-a-s at symbol gmail G-M-A-I-L dot com, C-O-M. And it isn't, it isn't N-I-C-K-A-N-D-N-A-T-S at sign G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. It isn't that. Because what it is, is Nick and Nat, J-C-A-S, which is at gmail dot com. Which is N I C K A N D N A T J C A S, John Carpenter Appreciation Society, at sign G M A I L dot C O M. Um, sorry, um, uh, but uh, we also need to give them the uh, uh, email address, which right. is Nick and Nat J C A S at Gmail. Dot com n i c k a n d n a t j c a s at g m a i l dot com. Um, so we're just basically we were both in our forties and we're trying to teach ourselves about technology. Yeah. Um, so we've had some uh, we've had some fan mail already in. Um, uh, this is from Claire Taylor seventy six mm-hmm. on uh, uh, on Instagram on the Instagrams, oh, yeah. um, and she has said Never Ending Story is being remade apparently, and a Labyrinth Two is due. Any thoughts? Well, I don't mind people remaking anything. The thing, John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, that's a remake. Yeah, that's a remake. It's a great movie. It's a great fucking movie. It's a great fucking movie. Um, yeah, it's a remake. There's no reason. I don't. I don't think there's any real sacred cows that you can and can't remake. Yeah, but what about specifically the Neverending Story? Have you got any? Um... Oh, well, I think the Neverending Story. I feel like again, it's a film I haven't seen in a long, long time. But I've only ever been interested in the first one. I've never watched any of the sequels. I think the third one's the best one. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, the third one's really good. It was made uh, about 20 years after the first two and stars a young Jack Black. It's absolutely... All of the majesty and the magic of that first one uh, is dialed right down uh, in favour of one of the rock monsters singing Born to be Wild on a Motorbike. Um, Never Ending Story Part 3 is my favourite. I do have lots of fond memories of it. And also I think it's genuinely quite creepy and has a real uh, sense of it. Of sort of unease about it. Well, it's got your man Deep Roy in it. Deep Roy, of we're, course. We're talking about the first one, not the third one, in yeah. case you... Um, yeah. What happened there was Nathaniel refused to engage with my Never Ending Story Part 3 bit, and he just carried on talking about the first one. But I think for the listeners at home, that may sound a bit confusing. 
Uh, but he's talking about the original. I am talking about the original. Well, it was Wolfgang Peterson that Wolfgang directed Peterson. it. And, um, yeah, I think you're right. It, it's it, bits where, like, the bits where that wolf is constantly cutting to that wolf, chasing, running after him, will catch up with him eventually, was a real kind of profound idea for me when I was a kid. And I think it's probably the result of a, uh, a sort of reoccurring nightmare I used to have. I don't remember that at all. The, the wolf bit. Do you know they've got the big wolf that's called something like the, is he called like the unease or whatever I, it's called? I don't. I, now that you're saying it, it sort of like sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember the wolf. All really. that stuff. That rem- bit where he I has to walk through with the eyes, the d- statues. Deep Roy being on a snail. Mm-hmm. Bit, is he on a snail or is he a snail? Yeah, he's riding a snail. He's a, he is a snail. I, I remember the rock monsters. I remember the luck dragon. I remember the book ending bits, uh, no pun intended, but the but, but the framing device of the never ending story. I remember that in my head being like welded to Time Bandits, and so yeah. in my in my memory, I don't think I've ever seen Time Bandits all the way through. But I think Time Bandits and Never Ending Story were two films that teachers would show us at school on like a snow day or an inset day or whatever, and um, and I think. Um, in my head, they're kind of like time bandits and never understand the story of the same thing. Um, I don't have a problem with them remaking it. I think I think what I have a problem with is sort of maybe modern filmmaking. And if they're going to take... I think that there is something quite classical about the first never-ending story mm. film, which is sort of like a fairy tale and fairly timeless. And... Um, and I think like some of the uh, makeup effects and some of the creature effects and the puppets and the miniature effects that they used in the film, I think that that kind of gives it a sort of timeless quality. Uh, and I think CGI ages stuff really, um, really badly. And I also just think if you added in a bunch of jokes, because that's the style at the moment. I what I would say is that I would if they made one I'd like I'd like to see something that treats treats children um a little bit more like they, like grown-ups hmm. where it's not just all like dumb because I don't think the original dumbed down and I don't think it's pandering and I don't think it's trying to chase um trends I think it's its own thing um so I I've got like nice memories of that labyrinth too yeah, I would think. I think if they do a sequel to Labyrinth, that's got a problem where you know it's basically going to be a Jim Henson thing. So there's no reason you couldn't just do another one with different creatures that are designed by the Jim Henson workshop. There's no reason you couldn't do that and do one really well. It does have the problem that David Bowie's dead. I think a few years ago there was some rumor I remember hearing that they were going to do one where he was the Goblin King and they were going to have a Goblin Queen. I think they suggested Tilda Swinton, and I was going, perfect, perfect. She's the Queen. Or go on, Toya Wilcox. Toya Wilcox, perfect, perfect. I like Toya. They'd have the same hair and the same makeup. Exactly. Um, Yeah, I I haven't heard about Labyrinth 2. When David... I mean, this is, this is... I'm a huge Alice Cooper fan. Mm-hmm. And um, he's in his 70s, and I hope he lives for many, 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 many more years. He's still touring. He's still incredible. fit. Still well fit. <laughs> and, um, and I... Yeah. And, and what, But one day when he does 
pass on, you know, it may not even be within my lifetime. But one day when he does, I'm going to be deeply affected by that. And um, and so I do appreciate that when David Bowie died, there was a big outpouring. And even from people that I didn't realise were into David Bowie. But what I would say is I've never really got David Bowie. Right. I've never really understood what it is. I, I, I hear his songs and I think, oh, yeah, I know that song or I like that song or whatever. But I've never kind of um, connected to it. And I feel like, oh, am I missing something? And then I remember, oh, you, you like Alice Cooper. And I love Alice Cooper about as much as you love yeah. David Bowie, right? Um, I probably like him more than you do, like David Bowie. I probably, I, probably, yeah. I mean, I, I only wear Alice Cooper clothes. That's right. I mean, that's all I've got. And you've got your Alice Cooper mask on. I've got my Alice, I've got two Alice Cooper masks and I've got one of them. On your head. So, so I, I, I get it. But what I would say is, I absolutely love Labyrinth, mm -hmm. and I think David Bowie is incredible in mm -hmm. it. And um, and my David Bowie is Labyrinth David mm -hmm. Bowie. All of the stages he went through in his whole whole career, the one that I directly associate with my David Bowie is um, is Labyrinth. I don't think he's essential to making a sequel. I think just make your own thing. Mm -hmm. I think maybe get Jennifer Connelly in, and it'd be her. Uh, children that are going through it, but they might. I mean, she might be. Have, I mean, I think Jennifer Connelly's old enough to have grandchildren, have grandchildren or twenty-year-old kids now. So I don't know how that would work, but yeah, I I don't have a problem with it. I just don't have a problem with it. Uh, the, the more I've, I think, in the first episode that we recorded in March, I think the thing that I've come to terms with is that everything is a pick and choose now. Yeah. Like I'll I'll pick and choose whatever Star Wars elements that I'm interested in, exactly. and then ignore the rest. And uh, just because you make exactly. a sequel to something doesn't mean that it undoes anything. I remember when people were going, "Oh, I remember when there was going to be that." They made that documentary about, it, didn't they? The the Nicolas Cage Superman film with Tim Burton, and everyone did this thing. Like, oh, I'm so glad that didn't get made. And it's like, why? Because he wouldn't have had to like it, but it might have been amazing, or it might have been absolutely. It might have been terrible. It might have been great. But there's no point in it not happening. It's always a bit of a shame when these projects don't happen because you could just watch it or not watch it. I think at the time, uh, the Tim Burton Batman, uh, Tim Burton Superman film was sort of, it sounded really weird. But the more that you look back on it, it feels like, well, if you were just going to reboot it like three times since then or whatever. Yeah. You may as well have just made it. You yeah. may as well have made it, and then we'll have had we'd have had a Nicolas Cage Superman movie that is just like this oddity from the nineties. Yeah, I think, um, I think it was a missed opportunity, and I yeah, I think it, I, I think it would have been fine. Um, here's a question from Joe Edders. My question, um, she says, I'm so happy you're back. Not yet, Joe. We're not <laughs> we're not back yet. It does require. Uh, some technical stuff that I don't really know what I'm doing with. Um, but what I would say is... Uh, okay, so here's your question. Joe Edders, what I would say is, I'm doing my best. We're we're doing our best. Well, you're doing heavy lifting, really. Oh, it's, it sounds better when you say that, because when I say it. But you rarely do. That's the problem, that. Right, Joe Edders says, I always read trivia on IMD... Oh, no, hang on, hang on. Um, I've just had a memory. Oh, yeah. 
So fan mail is Brian Johnson. Ah, uh, of course it is. Uh, so Brian Johnson, uh, what have you got for us? Oh, well, ah, here we go. Hi, Brian. How you doing? Ah, not so bad. How's yourself, Nathaniel? Not bad. Of course, we couldn't see you because of COVID for a long time. Ah, yeah. Well, I did have COVID, but I've managed to find me way into the building, and now I'm here. By the way, just for my own peace of mind, did you use the rope ladder or the rope? Uh well, I was I, I was going to use the rope ladder. Yeah, yeah. But um, I I couldn't quite reach it because it it, it was quite a bit uh, of a okay. quite a bit of a step. The first the first ladder was something like four foot tall, and I couldn't quite leap up and grab all of it. Okay. But luckily for me, there was this. Luckily, yeah. uh, there was this. Uh, 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 a piece of rope right, with yeah, loads of yeah. knots in it, yeah. and I managed to shimmy my way up that. Okay. But now my hands and clothes are incredibly stained, and I can't quite get them off. I've used licky. I've used. <laughs> I've tried to give myself a tongue bath, but nothing seems to be getting it off. Plus, it stinks as shit. <laughs> I don't know why that could be. Ah, come on. <laughs> Anyway, I'm absolutely covered in filth right now, but I'm gonna I'm gonna soldier on. Thanks, Brian. Gonna soldier on. Well, it's good because last time I think Nick had to do uh, the fan mail himself, but it's good that you're back. Oh, it's, I'm back and rearing the go, mate. I'm just absolutely cannot be, can I believe it? Yeah, I can I believe it? Anyway, here we go. All right, get ready. Here we go. Let's do some more fan mail. So, from Joe Edders, uh, she says, I'm so happy about... Oh, Nick's already read that. Yeah, I've read that. Okay, great, Nick. Uh, you've done a great job without me. Thanks very much. It's nice to finally get, like, a compliment <laughs> of someone. I haven't been showered with compliments today, but it really happens. Oh, I think that's terrible. You're one of the best podcasters around. So, um, here we go. Uh... My question from Joe Edders, it's Joe Edders' question. I always read trivia on IMDb, IMBD, that's what she'd written, but it's IMDb, uh, the international movie-based data. <laughs> after watching a film, do you guys do this before or after you've watched a movie? That's an interesting question, Brian and mm. Joe. Um, yeah, I do that. Um I, when I when I watch any movie, um, if I if I like the movie, um, I'll do a little bit of research around it. And if I don't like the movie, I'll do even more because I'll be fascinated about how it got made or why it ended up the way it did. But um, yeah, I because um, I mean I love film trivia mm. and I retain it all at some in some point in my brain. But what I do is whenever I watch a film. I'm probably not going to re-watch that film in any time soon or in years or whatever. So I'll use that as the opportunity to... I'm going to learn as much about this film while I've watched it, mm -hmm. either before or... It'll generally be after, because I try and avoid spoilers these days. But, um, but yeah, I, I do. I, go, I think IMDb or IMBD uh, on BD... IMBD Wong... Um, that's how he introduces himself. Um, he, uh, IMBD Wong, he's a good pal of uh, JC3000, isn't he? No. <laughs> and he's never visiting the show. No, OK. So, um, <laughs> so, so uh, 
yeah, I, I, it, when I watch a film, if, especially if I really enjoy it, I immerse myself in as much information about that, and then I never think about it ever again until <laughs> until it comes up conversationally, and I, all of a sudden I know all this stuff about it. Um, but it won't just be like IMDb. I'll watch like uh, YouTube videos and documentaries. And I stuff think like similar. That. Yeah, I like. Um, I will sometimes look things up after I've seen it. Uh, also, one of the things I like about having you know a Blu-ray or something, if it's packed with extras. I will watch interviews and things after I've seen the film of all the extras on the Blu-ray, even for films that I haven't enjoyed. Yeah. I go, yeah, almost especially. You go, go on, tell me about that then. If you've got a Blu-ray and it's got like 10 extras on it and, you know, two commentaries, that that is the moment to do it. I'm not going to go all the way over four foot across the room, take the disc (laughs) out of... I'm not going to watch the film. Take the disc out of the Blu-ray player... And then put in another film, and then months later, go back and watch the DVD extras. That is the moment that yeah. you kind of uh, have to have to have to swoop in and, and get all your research done. So yes, thank you for your question, Joe. Some uh, this is a this is a um, this is a are you ready, Brian? This is a, this is an email or this is a message from Tempest Prog on Instagram. Okay, great. Tempest Prog. Some movie directors have muses that regularly act in their films. If you were a movie director, who would be your muse? That's that's an incredibly odd question. I was thinking about this yesterday as well, because someone was saying, I watched watched, uh, uh, Deep Focus Lens. Deep Focus Lens. I don't know. She's a, a she's a YouTuber and uh, she's does the she's very in-depth analysis analyses of um of films that she's been watching. I I think she's great. Um highly recommend. Um and she was talking about uh, Martin Scorsese and um uh, his relationship with Robert De Niro and then Leonardo DiCaprio. And she was like saying that she always found it odd that he transitioned over to Leonardo DiCaprio as his muse. And I don't think... I mean, the way I see it is that Martin Scorsese and uh, Robert De Niro teamed up over three decades yeah. to make uh, a series of films together. Some of them were gangster films and they're the, the most famous, but they did a bunch of other stuff together. And... um uh, and I think Robert De Niro was um, around about the same age, probably not exactly the same age, but like around about the same generation. And they uh, and Robert De Niro was genuinely Martin Scorsese's muse. Yeah. And then it came a part where Robert De Niro was too old to play the parts that Robert De Niro yeah. used to play, and Martin Scorsese basically needed a new leading man, and. Um, he transitioned over to Leonardo DiCaprio because with Leonardo DiCaprio, who was a huge star, Martin Scorsese could pretty much say, well, if Leonardo DiCaprio is in it, it will get made. Yeah. And I think that that's not to, that's not to dilute anything about their relationship, but the way I perceive it is that um, Robert De Niro was his first love and that um, later on, uh, you know, he's sort of like, he's got... A similar relationship to Leonardo with Leonardo DiCaprio, but it is different, and it's not just that he replaced Robert De Niro with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's that it became like a business decision, as well as an age thing, a logistical yes. thing, and it was like, hey, I get on with this guy, and it, and it, and this relationship works. 
exactly that. I think, I think, well, one, I think Martin Scorsese started his first film was that, was it called, um, is it called Who's Knocking at My Door? So I, his first relationship was probably with Harvey Keitel and that kind of moved over and that dovetailed with the one with De Niro. Because Brian De Palma's first films were with, with, with De, Niro. De Niro. yeah. And so I think that happened, but I think exactly the same in that I think in the 90s when he first started working with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, he was such a big star. And Martin Scorsese, you know, is someone who, despite being this kind of very revered director... Whenever you hear about him, he always struggling to get his next film off the ground. And there was that whole thing with the Irishman being made by various studios dropping it and Netflix eventually picking it up. But it wasn't as if he could get these films made. And I think working with Leonardo DiCaprio for those like kind of period of 10 years or so was Leonardo DiCaprio was the biggest movie star in the world or one of them. And he could get those films made. And I don't think it was cynical so much. I think it was a mutual thing where Leonardo DiCaprio had that mutual benefit of working with Martin Scorsese and thinking these are likely to be good movies. They're, they're prestige. They're prestige. Movies. It reflects well on me. And I'm working with Scorsese and they presumably get on and have a good working relationship. But also those films were likely at the time he could get those made. And I think that was the main appeal of it. Working together meant they could both get this film made. And Martin Scorsese went, if I work with DiCaprio, I can get these films made. Yes, I think. And also, the thing is about um, Martin Scorsese is that I'm sure that he could go back to making low-budget indie movies, but his aspirations are really... He's making period movies. Mm. You know, he's making... Uh, gangster movies set in the 50s, 60s, 70s. He's making uh, Passion of the Christ... No, not Passion of the Christ, Last Temptation of Christ. Hmm. And he's not making... Um, you know, Gangs in New York is this huge, sprawling period movie that needs special effects and CGI to recreate New York in its early stages. He's not... Even Age of Innocence, you know, he's he's not making things that are just, like, cheapy knockoffs. Like, um, Mean Streets is kind of like... A contemporary film, but he doesn't make a lot of films that are yeah. contemporary. Um, so, and if you think about, yeah, something like An Age of Innocence at that time when he's a big, big director still, it isn't a necessarily a commercial prospect to a studio. But if he can say, oh, it's got Daniel Day Lewis in it, it's got Winona Ryder in it, Michelle Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, it's that. That's how he's selling it to the money people who are giving him the money to make it. Yeah, because that's, I think, Age of Innocence comes across as, like, one of his personal films, mm. where, I um, I mean, it's a, it's a, hmm. have you seen it? I really like it. Hmm. Yeah. It's just not quite what I want from a Martin Scorsese film, I think. But then I'm not a massive fan of After... Hours. Yeah. Okay. I think Age of Innocence is one of those ones where I didn't know I wanted to see it. Until I saw it. It is also, it's sort of like the exact sort of thing that I do. I do like it. I do, yeah, I do like it. Um, yeah. I love romantic sort of uh, old-fashioned sprawling yeah. epics, which is what it's... And I think it's a thing that, you know, he's put in the world because he's working with big stars. If he didn't, he probably couldn't get that film made. Who, so Mark, they're all... Mark Scorsese. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and... Um, and that's what's nice about kind of Gangs of New York, I suppose, is that he kind of, 
takes Daniel Day-Lewis from an earlier film and then he yeah. works with him again. I, li- I, like, I like their being recurring cast. I, wanna, I loved The Irishman. And what I loved about that was having Harvey Keitel and Joe Pesci back in it. And it's weird that Al Pacino hadn't been in a film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's really great. But I, I find all of... Uh, I find the 1970s, Brian De Palma, um, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, I find all of the actors that work with that group of people, I find all of how it's all kind of, they're all in each other's pockets. I yeah. find that really interesting. And then that spreads over to Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. I find all of, and then John Milius, we were talking about yeah. earlier, off off mic, but while the mics were cold. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. What was the question? Movie, movie directors have muses that, re- yeah, I mean. I certainly oh, so like that. I like a company. I like it when you're working with the same people again and again. I think that's nice when they do their second film and they've still got some people in from the first film. And it feels that when people talk about it like theatre rep company, I always think that's not... I think it's also, it's a bit of a shorthand, isn't it, for the director to work with familiar people. So it probably gives you a bit of confidence to go, oh, these guys are all my pals. Yeah. They're all on side. We're all working together. I saw Chopping more recently and, um, and... Even more recently, I mean, within the same month, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd watched, because it was October, I was watching new horror films. And I'd seen Piranha before, but I watched Piranha at the beginning of the month. And then, you know, weeks later, I watched Chopping Mall. And it's got loads of the same cast members. It, I mean, Piranha was Joe Dante. Um, I can't remember who directed Chopping Mall, but they're, they're sort of basically Roger Corman movies. Mm-hmm. Um, who is that bald guy with the beard? Oh, is it? Paul Bartel. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so he's in Piranha. Yeah, and he's in Chopping Mall, and he's like one of them people that I've never known what his name no. is. But he and isn't he also the director of Death Race Two Thousand? What he directed? I think it. he's the director. Oh, so I think well. it's that Roger Corman thing. If it's like again, that's a very incestuous world, isn't it? Yeah, they're all just moving between projects yeah. and things. Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 what I liked—I don't think Chopping Mall is a great film, but what I liked about Chopping Mall was that. Um, you go, oh, look, there's Dick Miller and then there's Paul Bartel and then they've got posters for uh, Galaxy of Terror and, and yeah. all of these Roger Corman films in there. And then one of the lead characters is played by the guy that played Deathstalker in Deathstalker 2. And there's, like, sound cues on the soundtrack that I was like, what's this What's this <laughs> from? And then I was, like, thinking about it, and I'm like, that's from Deathstalker 2. And, um, and so w- what I liked about Chopping Mall was that it was sort of fun because you yeah. can kind of, like, once you've watched enough of those sort of low-budget Roger Corman kind of exploitation films, once you've watched enough of them, you kind of, like, there's this recurring cast. There's a family sort of thing to it. It's, like, it's yeah. the same... Oh, it's got that guy from that in it. And it's it spreads all the way from, from, from Deathstalker 2 all the way up to Gremlins. Yeah. And Gremlins 2. And it all interacts with all those movie brat guys as well. Yeah, I, 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 love, I love all that. I don't know who my muse would be, but I, one, of the, one of the frustrations is being a Bruce Campbell fan and just thinking, um, I, you know that Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, in the 90s, Robert Rodriguez, when he first got, like, caught carte blanche to do anything he wanted he and it was before like the internet and he could request what he wanted so he just requested a bunch of action scripts because he'd already done El Mariachi and maybe Desperado but he didn't really know how to write an action script I think it was after El Mariachi before Desperado and so he requested a bunch of scripts and one of them was for Evil Dead 2 
uh, because he just thought it was one of his favourite action movies and he wanted to know how it was written and how it looked on paper. And you you know that they know who Bruce Campbell was, is, and you just kind of like, well, why don't you utilise him in something? Why don't you put him in one of your films? Give him a lead. They put him in uh, From Dust Till Dawn to Texas Blood Money. They put him in that where, and I was so excited about that. It was on IMDb and I waited for months. I think it must have come out in like 1999 or maybe 2000. Wait for months for it to come out, and I knew Bruce Campbell was going to be in From Dust Till Dawn 2. I was so excited. I thought maybe he'd be playing the director video uh, version of George Clooney. Maybe, maybe that's what he's doing. Who knows, right? And um, and then when it came out, it was like a, a you know a film within a film teaser at the beginning of the film. Then he's killed off within minutes and you kind of like you know, it's produced by Tarantino and Rodriguez and it's kind of like you knew he he was he was you must love him yeah you must absolutely love him why wouldn't why I mean Robert I think Robert Patrick is the lead in that film I like Robert Patrick but like Bruce Campbell could have been the lead it just feels like yeah it no, needed it someone always... other than Sam Raimi to back him and yeah. to be like this guy but even when he's in cameos in things now I don't know if that's sort of what he's happy with he's happier being in a cameo. I think he I think he went from a point where he was just like I'm going for the lead in yeah. movies to I'm a b-movie actor and I'm gonna fully embrace that yeah and now you know the last thing I saw him in was um Black Friday mm-hmm. which was kind of like a evil dead to inspired comedy horror set on Thanksgiving weekend in a supermarket. But Bruce Campbell was already in a film like that called Intruder, which was made in the 80s. Uh, And I think Intruder is great, and it's got cameos from Ted Raimi, uh, Sam Raimi. um, I think it's... Was it written and directed by Scott Spiegel? I think it was, yeah. I think that's what I was thinking of. um, And Bruce Campbell's got a cameo in it, and Scott Spiegel was involved in Evil Dead 2. And and so Black... I think Scott Spiegel as well, going back to a bit of a... uh, Well, he's got a cameo in Spider-Man 2. Scott Spiegel? Yeah. Oh, does he? I know know for a while. I think he's the... I might be getting this wrong, and it might be Robert Tappert, but I think it's Scott Spiegel. He's the guy with the pizza... And Spider-Man uh, whips the pizza out of his ah, hand. I was going to say, uh, um, kind of dovetailing what we'll be talking about later, I think for a while, Scott Spiegel, I think with like Quentin Tarantino producing, we're going to do Halloween 6 at one point. And then when the Weinsteins first got it, I think there was a script going around. But I think they were, I think it was essentially a bit like a kind of road movie Natural born killersy thing, and so they went. Oh no, we'll do something else. Um, I think Scott Spiegel directed From Dust Till Dawn too. Ah, I think he did. Um, and so maybe the Bruce Campbell connection wasn't even anything to do with Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Maybe it was Scott Spiegel. But you just think all it needed was somebody else to back Bruce yeah. Campbell, and then and and it for even the Cohen brothers, it feels weird that you know he's only ever in like kind of small parts cameo and he's great in Hudsucker Proxy he's great he's in Hudsucker Proxy and it's sort of perfect and he's in you know you've got those bits where you see moments of it like where he's the he's like a soap actor on TV and you go yeah but he could just be one of the guys in Lady Killers he could just yeah, be one of absolutely. why isn't he just one of the guy when he's one of the main guys it just feels like there's enough stuff with enough big directors I'm sure maybe this is something that Bruce Campbell thinks to himself as well 
in his dotage. But even no, in that last I, Doctor I, Strange I, movie. I'm not sure he has, like... Yeah, I don't know him. No. I don't know him. But, uh, but I wouldn't... I, I think he's... I think he has gone through that phase and he has yeah. just embraced what it... But I don't... I think that it was a missed opportunity from everyone. Yeah. Because he was basically doing what Jim Carrey was doing uh, in the 90s, in the 80s, you know, and he was... Yeah. I just think now, even in that Doctor Strange movie, I think given that the audience for that film, you could probably give him a pretty major part in a Marvel movie and everyone would be you fine could, with it. You could absolutely give him, uh, give him a major part in a Marvel movie because no one is going to Marvel movies yeah. based on who's in them. Yeah. So just give him a big part in it. You, you don't make, make him, him a hot dog vendor in the background of a scene. For You know what I mean? It's like I know he gets to do his little... He gets to do his... Uh, Three Stooges thing again. Sure. And you probably think, maybe that's what you wanted to do. Sure, mate, yeah. But, like, and I don't... He's not the one that's writing himself parts. Yeah. It's just give him a, give him a part, let him do something. You know, Bubba Hotep, that, that film, that performance in that film is absolutely incredible. It, I cried when I saw it because I was just like, you've sat through so many Congos and Escape from <laughs> L.A.'s. And then finally he's the lead in a movie and... Um, and, and you know, it's niche, but it, he's so good in it. And, yeah, and so I guess in answer to your question, um, uh, if I was younger or if it, I was older in the 80s and yeah. I was a filmmaker, um, I would have used Bruce Campbell more. Yeah. I can't understand why that, why that didn't happen. Anyway, so... That is the end of our fan mail. So thanks for joining us, Brian. Oh, you're very welcome. I let me say... Whoa! I slipped on the shit. <laughs> Maybe do the, the um, ladder next time. No, he, he's, he's gone now. You, you need to shout that bit louder. Um, okay, right. So uh, here we go. Halloween Ends. Mm-hmm. Part two of our Halloween Ends special. We've got uh, 19 minutes, 18 minutes to talk about... Halloween ends. Uh, let's do it. Yeah. So, Halloween ends. Uh, we've come to the third part of the David Gordon Green True. sequel trilogy yeah. to the original Halloween movie. The fourth film, technically, in that series. It's the fourth film in the series, uh, and, and that series runs as Halloween, Halloween, Halloween kills, Halloween ends. Yes. Um. Okay, so you hated it. Why did you? I hate didn't it? like it. I, uh, yeah, I would say. Again, Where did you see it? I saw it at the Picture House in Stratford. Okay, and it was on a big screen. Uh, I would say, like like the second one, the first ten minutes are great. Mm. I was really. Uh, what happens it. at the beginning of the second one? You basically get the origin story. Oh, the beginning of the second one is oh, a flashback. The beginning of the second one is the flashback. Oh, I thought I thought the, with Jim Cummings in it. Yeah, I thought the flashback was weird. And when Doctor Loomis turns, because it's like you haven't done that for the whole for the for, you didn't do that in the first one. No, but I thought it was a thing where they're aware of, like they want a bit of a big splash pre-credit sequence, don't they? Right. So this and this feel like that, like oh, it's a new new characters. We don't quite know who they are or how they fit in with the story. If you haven't listened to the last episode, listen to the last episode. But we barely talk about it. But um, but this episode, this this 
the trilogy, I'm basically... I think that it was intended to be... Um, uh, all three films were set over one night, where right. you have the Halloween is set at the beginning of Halloween, and then that brings Laurie Strode into it. And then Halloween kills has got Laurie Strode. She's basically not in the movie that much. She's in hospital for the whole film, which leads up to a big confrontation in the third film between her and Michael Myers. But then COVID happened... Uh, and and I don't see why that got in the way of their plans. Not really. Um, I thought that maybe the film was going to be about COVID, but it wasn't, um, which was a shame because he was already wearing a mask. And um, and then uh, what they've done is they've just set this film, which is quite confusing because I had forgotten that Halloween Kills was set the same night as Halloween. Mm-hmm. So Halloween 2018. So when they were saying, oh, it's four years later, I was like, so this film's set in the future, is it? Is this film in the future? But um, it was four years later from 2018, wherein the film that came out last year, Halloween... So Haddonfield have already gone through COVID at this point. So Halloween Kills that that came out in 2020 or 2021... 2021, I think. So if Halloween Kills came out in 2021, it's not four years after that. Halloween Kills is set in 2018, so it's four years. So I found it, I found the timeline a little bit hard to get my head around at first. Because also the beginning of this film is set in Halloween 2019. Right, yes. So then it's just like, hang on a minute, is this film, is the beginning of this film set before the second film... (laughs) <laughs> and you go, no, it's not, because the second film was set in 2018. Now, yeah. this is 2019. But when they're saying four years later, they're not saying 2023, they're saying 2022. So the majority of this film happens in this year. I just found, like, it was an unneeded extra complication where it's already fucking confusing, guys. Yeah. My main overall problem with this film was how much it felt like... Um, and how the, this whole kind of sequel trilogy feels so eh, like nothingy, and it felt like this is this feels like the an idea for a Halloween film if you'd made eight of them. Do you know what I mean? Like this could be another idea, and it was like, why now? Why yeah. in the last one okay. is this the end of the thing? Yeah, and it gives you the Halloween thing that's been promising becomes the last. 15 minutes of the film and it's like this is the what you're setting up is like going it's all leading to this huge conclusion which ends up being the sort of afterthought of another halloween film which feels very like i didn't like the concept anyway uh concept being that michael myers somehow kind of projects himself somehow into uh into another character. Well, that feels like it's going back to the Thorn trilogy. Where yeah, exactly. It's like, it feels, that feels, it like, feels Halloween like Halloween 5 and 6. It feels like a 5 or 6. Which is bonkers. To exactly. Think, because one of the things... That you saw it first and then I saw it, and I think one of the first things that you said was, if you're going to delete all of the other yeah. Halloween films out of existence and be like, nah, this is the real one, then you've got to have a fucking plan, right? Yeah. But in what you just said was like, if you were making eight Halloween films and this is one of the Halloween films, then fine. Well, that's how I took it because 
it's not the night. How, what is it? There's it's the six. Well, oh, we know Halloween H two O is twenty. There's the twentieth. Not only is it the twentieth. What year, pumpkin head was it? Tw- it's pumpkin. How many pumpkin heads were there? Know, there must still, be. Even uh, including the pumpkin heads, it was still have only been ten. <laughs> anyway, so 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 Halloween H two O is the seventh. Halloween yeah. Resurrection is eight. Yeah. Uh, then there's Rob Zombie, Rob Zombie 2, and then there is... One, two. Oh, hang on, I haven't counted. So, uh, uh, Resurrection is eight. One and two, ten. Hang on. Halloween. Yeah. Halloween 2. Yeah. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yeah. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Yeah. Halloween 5, The Curse of Michael Myers. Yes. Halloween 6... Halloween... Then it's HMI. Yes, but what's Halloween 6 called? Oh. Is that the curse of Michael Myers? There's not a return and a this revenge. Is where, is this is where Natalie comes in. We need, exactly. we need Natalie. Okay, right. So there's Halloween... JC3000 is broken. JC3000 is broken down and um, Natalie's not here. Right, okay. So so Halloween 5, 6, uh, and then Halloween H2O, yeah. Halloween Resurrection... Mm-hmm. Halloween, Rob Zombie 1. Halloween, Rob Zombie 2. Then there's Halloween 2018. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. So this is the 13th Halloween film. Okay. Does that mean there's one more Halloween films than there are Friday the 13th films? There's more Halloween films than Friday the 13th yeah, films there are now. now. That's bonkers. By the way, Halloween 4, Return of. Halloween 5, The Revenge of. Halloween 6, The Curse Of. It's the same as the Pink Panther movies, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right. Um, OK, right. So if you're going to Rob write... Zombies are like the Steve Martin ones. Yeah, right, then exactly, exactly. Um, so you... So, and there's two of them. And, <laughs> and they were going to make a third one, and they thought, nah. So, um, so if you're going to get rid of all of that, then this has to be pretty good. But, like, if it's the 13th Halloween film... Yeah. I felt like I got everything I wanted out of a confrontation between Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers in H2O. Yeah. And then when they did Halloween 2018, it was just like, you're doing this again? Okay, but now it seems less original than what... I I liked H2O because you've got a functioning alcoholic and they're not, like, playing it like, oh, she's drunk everywhere and she's got... She's literally just drinking two glasses of... You know, her, her, her date goes to the toilet... And while he's away, she drinks a glass of wine and orders another wine. And then the guy is like, you want another glass of wine? And then she's just, just give me the wine. And then, you know, and she's like, she's she's functioning alcoholic, but she's hiding her traces from, mm. like, the people around her. And I just thought it was a much more interesting way of looking. Now she's the head of a... She's yeah. moved away from Haddonfield, of course. Now she's the head of a, um, a school. Yeah. And she's, uh, you know, she's gone from... And and you can see that as a Laurie Strode progression where it's kind of like Laurie Strode was really book smart and she looked after kids mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. And it's kind of like, how do we get the essence of that character only now she's an adult? Well, she's in charge of a whole school full of kids and she's got her own kids. And, you know, she's a teacher. And I, yeah, I, I think just thought that per- was great. I think it's a perfectly... It's not even a perfectly acceptable sequel. It's a really good one. It's a really good sort of smart way of updating it. And it felt like that at the time. And everyone accepted it in that spirit. Like, oh, this is exactly what you should have done. There's a lot of people that now 
retrospectively tear it apart yeah. and they're like oh it's too much like scream or anything like that well it's of its time but um it's better than most of the sequels that came yeah. before it and it dealt with laurie strode again it brought jamie lee curtis back and loads, loads of people comment i think it's the best ending for the series mm. and uh, if you don't know at the end of h2o um jamie lee curtis wanted to come back and she was like this is the you know this is the um uh, this is the, the swan song, right? This is where Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, they confront each other, for, and that was what brought her back. But contractually, Michael Myers is not allowed to be killed in any of the films. The producers were like, no, he's, uh, you can't kill him off. So contractually, they were like, we want, we're want, we definitely going to make a Halloween 8 after H2O, so we need to have... a." It scripted a get-out clause to, if you're going to behead Michael Myers at the end of this film, we need to film the beginning of the next film to explain, you know, how Michael Myers survived. And so that's where there's the switcheroo between, it's the ambulance driver in the boiler suit and the mask. And in actual fact, when you watch Halloween Resurrection, when you're watching Halloween H2O, um, they've retroactively... Well, it feels like they've retroactively swapped Michael Myers for the ambulance driver, but in actual fact, in H2O, that is what happens. Yeah. Because they filmed it all at the same time, or if they didn't film it all at the time, same time, it was scripted at the same time, and it was in Jamie Lee Curtis's mm-hmm. contract that if you come and do Halloween 7, then you have to do a cameo in Halloween 8, and she was just like, well, if I do a cameo in Halloween 8, then I'm going to get killed off in the first 10 minutes and then I'm out of it. And they were like, fine. So everything is planned. Mm. But Halloween 8, I don't think I've even watched it. It's so ignorable. It's terrible. It's it's basically a sort of Big Brother style yeah. thing where it's people in their, their original house from Halloween set up as a Big Brother thing. It's a terrible film. But that's what I mean. It feels like you do H2O and you follow it up with something which is... Like a real, like, nothing cash grab sequel. It looked cheap. I think H2O feels like um, they were aiming to make, like, an A picture, you know? Mm. They were trying to make something that was, that was like, classy and good and get the original people back. They tried to get John Carpenter back. They tried to do it right. They got a good director for that genre, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and I think that they did a really good job. And it's it's sort of baffling at how shit and cheap Resurrection looked to think that it was already planned when they were making yeah. H2O because it feels like a much cheaper follow-up to that film. I think it kind of wasn't either. I think the idea was that they weren't really interested in creating these kind of A pictures. They did one essentially so they could reboot a franchise and carry on doing these cash grabs right. with diminishing returns. And that, to me, feels like what they've done with Halloween Ends. It feels like... You've got these kind of quite lofty ideas. I think the second one has a lofty idea that doesn't quite doesn't pull it off, and it it sort of failed. I hated the second one. I I just hated it. Some um, and by the second one I mean the twelfth one, um, <laughs> and the third one in this uh, after Halloween seventy eight, <laughs> Halloween two thousand eighteen, uh, Halloween kills. Right, I hated it. I I don't know. I, I made me. It made me feel cold and sad and depressed, and I, I just felt. I went with um, the kid Elliot from um, Uncle, and we went to see it. And I took him for like, oh, we'll go and see 
um, Halloween film. We, we we go and see horror films, and I took him to see this one. And at the end, I sort of like apologised because I was just like, <laughs> "Sorry, that was awful." It was. I just felt, and I haven't seen it since, but I just really just thought it was. I thought it was stupid. I thought it was like. You've you've got this lofty idea, but you've done it in the most basic kind of way. Yeah. It felt clunky. It didn't feel like, like you said, it's, it's making like, a point, but like it doesn't work. It's sort of being, um, yeah. Anyway, like, but it's almost forgive. It's like sure, okay. It feels like a failed idea, right? But I get what you're trying to do. Yeah, this one feels like it's a real kind of. This one feels a bit Halloween resurrection to me. Like they've just gone. And another idea for a Halloween film would be as this happened. And like you say, it feels like it's part of that original. Like this could be, if this had come out, this feels like a film that could have come out in 1998 had they never made H2O. And it would be, you know, it's now Halloween 9 and this is the premise. Yeah, I get I And I think that that's probably what I liked about it. Because I think, no... From what I understand, one of the big complaints is that it's not two hours of Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers going head to head. Well, I feel like I've already had that. Right. Right. So I, I'm not, I'm not after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, one of the other complaints is that it's a terrible end for this trilogy. Well, I would say I didn't need this trilogy in the first place. I yeah. didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy the first one enough for it to yeah. replace H two O. And then the second one, I thought was, I think is the worst film in the front, having not seen Resurrection. Mm. I, I mean, it even makes you go, at least Rob Zombie's films were kind of trying to do something different. Yeah. You know, I prefer probably Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 to Halloween 1. But, um, but I still think they're really bleak and unpleasant films. I, and they're way down the bottom of the list. I, and, and, I, and I don't mind them at all. I um, don't mind them at all. I th- uh, but in terms of this franchise, I, I don't really feel like I need to rewatch them. But I think he's just... he With the first one, it's just like he made a remake. Half of the film was over-explaining something that didn't need explaining. And then the second half was a... a, a, a what do you call it? A crunch-down... Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a bridge version of the original film. Then the second film, we got to do what he kind of wanted to do, and you kind of like go, "Yeah, I write, I, I get it." And then I've seen it, and I, I thought it was unpleasant, and now it's over. And but at least there was kind of like a feel to it. Halloween Kills just felt like what? What is this? And how th- th- there were some real horrible kills in it. But I don't watch Halloween for horrible kills. Yeah. It's not about like how horrible the kills are. It's about the tension building up to the kills, and you don't even see a lot of the kills in the first one. Um, I think, and I don't mean to disparage it, but I think there's been a real thing where, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis has been promoting these films. Like, of course, I've come back to do the final ones, and you think, I think, and the third one makes you go, I'm sure it was a good payday because it doesn't feel like you're doing enough in this film. It's like it's not really... Jamie Lee Curtis is like a supporting character in the second and third of these films. Yeah. And and it's not nothing really to do with her. And yet the whole thing is it's like, oh, it's my swan song. And it's like, well, it isn't. H2O is a much better swan song. 
Um, yeah, and it, and they do it in one film. Mm. And if you're going to bring three, I, so so the, if the complaints were it's a terrible ending to this trilogy, and it's not two hours of Michael Myers and Jamie Lee Curtis going head to head, um, I uh, loved it, and I've not been able to stop thinking about it since I saw it, and um, and I I really I just I really, in actual fact, and I don't think it's flawless i think in actual fact loads of it is wrong and doesn't make sense and is mishandled and didn't quite land the way they wanted it to land so i do think it's a deeply flawed and compromised Mm -hmm. film but i was so relieved that it wasn't a continuation of halloween ends it was like its own thing i was just for a start like massive brownie points for that just like oh great you've ditched you've basically rebooted your own trilogy right and the third one you've gone Let's do something else. And I was like, thank God, because I didn't want to watch another... I felt like there was Halloween 2018 and then Halloween Kills felt like a retread of Halloween 2018 without any of the story. It was Mm. just like, this is like the middle section when he goes around killing everyone. It was like there wasn't a... There wasn't a first act and there wasn't a third act. It was just all act two. And it was the second part in a trilogy, fine. But when the third part didn't pick up from that, I was just like, brilliant. I think that first ten minutes of Halloween uh, ends. ends, I thought the first ten minutes were... I, I, I watched it. I didn't quite get what was going on at first and then I picked up on what was going on and then I was like they're not going to do this are they and then they did it and like me and my girlfriend like when it went into the credits we went oh we saw it on a packed Friday night in our local cinema with the fucking foot recliners up and we were just and as soon as the credits started at the beginning we just looked at each other and we were like Oh, and I was just there, like, going, like, I cannot believe they have just opened the third film like that. I cannot believe... And I was like, everything's up for grabs now. I've got no idea what's going to happen. And um, and I loved it. And I thought in the in the way that they've done it, they've obviously approached it like Halloween 3 season of The Witch, where it's just like, this is going to be how, how we'll do the Halloween films from now on. Season of The Witch... It, I mean, they even have Halloween playing on a TV screen in Halloween 3, Season of the mm. Witch. It's not a Michael Myers film. It's part of an anthology where they're kind of like going, what if the Halloween series was an anthology series? And um, and and so there's a bit when he's in a diner, when uh, Tom Atkins is in a diner, and he looks over and uh, the Halloween, the original Halloween film, John Carpenter's Halloween, is playing on the TV screen and Michael Myers is there. And so you know that within the world of Halloween 3, Halloween the movie exists as a movie that's now playing on TV. So it's it's completely removed. And and people hated that. So what they've done is they've created a world where Michael Myers still exists, but now we've got kind of like this... Now it will be more like an anthology where it's like in the world of Michael Myers, this is also going on. And um, and I, I... I... Really admire the fact that they tried to do that. I think the ending, if we're going to go into spoilers... Well, before we do that, I would say I had the same, exactly the same experience where I went in a bit like, I don't know about this Halloween film. I thought the first ten minutes of it were brilliant. I was so sold on it that when it started, we had opening credits, like you, I was like going, 
oh, what are people talking about? Yeah. This is great. Yeah. And it, I loved it that they're watching John Carpenter's The Thing. I thought it was incredible that they were watching go, John oh, Carpenter's The Thing. They watched the original thing. They watched thing. the original thing and, and then, then he made The Thing and then 42, four years later, they're watching The Thing. It was incredible. It was, it was really it was selling so, it to me. It was so satisfying. And also, when it, the, 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 one of the great things about these, probably one of my favourite things about these last three movies is that they do the... Um, opening credits with the the pumpkin again, mm-hmm. like in the first one. And so when it starts and the Halloween music kicks in and you've just had that 10-minute sequence, it was like, yeah. Yes. I was really like... I was pumped. Uh, yeah, was I was great. pumped at that yeah, point. It was, so it the was first really 10 minutes... And did you n- notice that all of the text was in blue? No. And so... Like in the in the original Halloween three, all the text is in blue. So they've gone. Oh, we'll do it like in season of the witch. All the text is in blue. So the third one, they were like, oh, the text is in blue, and it's there. And so it's like we're going to do an anthology. All of the pumpkins thing. I thought it was a confusing pumpkin sequence. (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, And I was like, how does that all work? But I, I, I did like when that music kicks in, John Carpenter's music. Mm. When it kicks in, it was like, oh my god, this is incredible. I was really, and that was partly as again why I think I disliked it so much, because I was so like, yes. Well, you'd already told me that you hated it, like, and you hated it. And um, and I went in going, well, when's he, when am I going to hate this? And and I knew that you were like, that can't, you said, like, the twist that was coming, you you spotted really early, and you're like, that can't be it. And I was just like, no, but I think that is it. And I did get what they were going to do. And I just was like... Oh, I love this. This is going to be really sort of tragic. But um, that opening 10 minutes was... Okay, we're going to get into spoilers, right? Mm-hmm. So that opening 10 minutes was horrific. And and I was my brain was just like... So uh, there's a guy that's babysitting a boy. And, um, and he's like... What's great about it is he is Laurie Strode, right? Mm. He has turned up there. He's a book smart boy uh and laurie was a book smart girl and he's there and he's babysitting right because i think what people were saying was like oh so is is the main guy what's the main guy in this called do you remember oh i can't remember so the main guy they were like uh, so is the main guy meant to be like michael myers is he turns into michael myers and you go no the main guy was laurie strode and it's what would what could have gone wrong Mm. and laurie strode she was um she was attacked and pursued by michael myers one halloween night and now there's this guy and the ghost of michael myers is is haunting the whole of haddonfield and you know it doesn't work as a part three of this trilogy it doesn't yeah Laurie Strode is a completely different character in this film than she was in the last film that she was in the film before. So it doesn't work as part three. But if you ignore everything else, which is easy to do because they have basically ignored everything else as well, then you just look at it as kind of like a character study or something. You kind of go, this this young guy is Laurie Strode. He's this innocent guy and Michael Myers destroys his life just like he potentially destroyed Laurie Strode's life. And so the little kid is playing up and the guy wants to be a really good babysitter and you know that there's a point where he goes into the fridge and he goes to potentially get a beer and you know something awful is going to happen but you don't know what it is and he goes to get the beer but then he doesn't get the beer he's a good babysitter i like that stuff where it sets him up and he's not like you think oh he's going to be a really strict babysitter and he isn't he's He's trying to have fun he's letting the kid watch the thing he's being really and then at the point it's like 
I probably should go to bed now. The kid is like, no way. Mm. So he's then dealing with a problem kid. Yeah, and then the kid starts um, uh, intentionally terrifying the babysitter and um, and uh, there's a kitchen knife that goes missing. He goes to cut some cake and then when he goes back, the kitchen knife is missing and he notices the kitchen knife is missing. And so the whole setup is that you think that uh, Michael Myers is back and he's going to attack the babysitter and the kid. Um, but um, he can hear the kid upstairs and so he goes upstairs and uh, and when he goes up the stairs, he finds the knife and he picks up the knife and then he goes upstairs and he goes into... Uh, he thinks the kid is in a in a, a um, like a little room that's by the stairs, and he goes in, and then the kid locks him in the thing, and he can't get out. And then, you know, he ends up kicking the door open, which kicks the kid off the top of the balcony, just as the parents are getting in. But as as he's kicking the door open, he shouts, "I'm going to kill you, or I'll kill you!" And then the next thing you know, the kid is dead. And it's horrific. And uh, the parents see it. And the parents hear him say, I'm going to kill you. And then they look up and he's standing at the top of the stairs holding the knife. And then the credits start. I think those are all the bits, right? Mm. Like, so he's holding the knife. He's shouted, I'm going to kill you. And he's killed the son. And uh, the parents witness, like, 75% of it, even though it's an accident, they witness 75% of it, and then the credits start, and my thought was, fuck, how... He can't get out of that. We know that he's completely innocent. Mm. We know he's completely innocent, but there's no way he can get out of that. He shouted, I'm going to kill you. They heard him shout it. He's got the knife. He's holding the knife at the top of the stairs. He's killed the kid. He has actually killed the kid, even though it was an accident. Mm. He's killed the kid. There's no way out of this. And then um, the film starts and he's not in prison. And um, it, due to a, a, a loophole in the legal proceedings, he's been allowed out. And that is a thing that doesn't work mm. straight away. Because you go, either all of the evidence is against him, but we know he's innocent as an audience, and now he's on death row. Yeah. We know he's innocent, and and but but there's so much evidence against him. He shouted, I'm going to kill you. He's holding the knife. He's killed the kid. There's all these things. You know, you know there's no way of him, like, explaining his way out of it that he didn't mean to do it. It's his word over the, all the evidence, mm. right? So he should be, like, on a death row kind of... Um, uh, he should be in, in prison, on death row, waiting for um, a lethal injection or whatever, and then the film should be about either uh, Michael Myers and him like teaming up that way, or uh, I'm not saying that that's what I want, I'm just like saying that yeah, logically... It's, it's, it's that, it's, they've gone to such great lengths to set this up to impli- as one To thing. implicate yeah. him as, like, there's Whereas no way out of this. there was a thing where, even if the parents came back and witnessed it as an accident, they would go... Obviously, they're like, I still hate this guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I do understand that it, what happened was a if tragic it, accident. If it was a tragic accident without any implications, you know, 
and then and then there'd be kind of like this, hey, you're a kid killer. Yeah. And and, then, and the parents would still hate him. And that followed him around. The parents, that would make more sense. But to set it up like he is so implicated and then not do anything with that yeah. for the rest of the film was like, that's bonkers, right? Yeah. Um, but it didn't bother me. Right. And what I loved about Jamie Lee Curtis in this film was that... Um, I've seen Jamie Lee Curtis in loads of films, you know. I've watched her my entire life. She's been in films that I've loved, like Trading Places and True Lies and Fish Called Wonder. And, you know, she's... she's Virus. Not virus. <laughs> but um, but I, I, I love her, right? And um, I've never really been able to differentiate between Jamie Lee Curtis and Laurie Strode. What's the difference? And when I watched Halloween 2018, it's kind of like she's playing this tough version of Laurie Strode. But... I've only really got the one film, the original John Carpenter's Halloween, to really work out who Laurie Strode is. And so when you see her in H2O, it's kind of like, yeah, that's still the same character, but is it more like that's Jamie Lee Curtis? Yes, yeah. And what I've what I noticed, and I didn't feel like Laurie Strode was Laurie Strode in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's barely into, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kills. So with ends, there's a scene with her in the kitchen and she's sort of like being a bit of a goofball and she's playing with her granddaughter and she's a bit clumsy and she's sort of like either bumps in something or trips over something. And you know, that's Laurie Strode. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not Jamie Lee Curtis. She's playing the character that she played in the 78 film. And if this film was literally... I think what this film should have been is just a drama, right? Mm. It should have just been like a romantic drama of everyone getting on with their lives and it should have been the whole film of just everything playing out. Michael Myers is is dead, he's long gone. They don't even mention Michael Myers. It's Halloween, everyone's getting back on with things. Halloween happens, there's maybe a bit of tension. What's going to go wrong on Halloween? Nothing goes wrong on Halloween, everything's fine. And then right at the very last shot, she's drawing the curtains and she looks out and she sees Michael Myers... And then it cuts to her, and when it cuts back, he's not there. And it's like the whole film is not a Halloween film, but it's basically saying that Michael Myers is going to be is is never going away. He's always yeah. going to be haunting you. I think that would have been a good, like I think if at the end of Halloween Kills they had killed Michael Myers, like you're saying, and the third film was literally like. Oh, they're doing a third one, but he died in the last one. Yeah. And it was that. Yeah. And you could even have this plot with the guy. Yeah. And having the whole thing where it's like, it is like the whole town is cursed, essentially, with this. So it doesn't matter whether this guy's alive or dead. Yeah. He's never, it's never, you're never leaving. And even though you've put Laurie Strade in a happy place and she's moved on with her life, there's always that doubt that maybe he's still out there. Yeah. I think that that would have been... I think that this film has five, maybe less, but there's at least three or four better ideas for endings for this film. And I feel like they filmed them. Yeah, so do I. I don't feel like... I think, based on what they've got, I think that the ending to this film was... Well, what I thought it was going to be was either you were going to have Michael Myers and Laurie Strode... And then the granddaughter and the boyfriend. Mm. And it was like them versus them, right? That's one ending mm-hmm. that we didn't get. Um, and I wasn't really looking forward to that, but I, yeah. I, but 
you know, that's a logical ending. The other ending was that the guy was going to come and kill Laurie Strode, and just before he killed Laurie Strode, Michael Myers was going to come along and kill him, and then it was going to be like Michael Myers goes off into the distance and is just like, um, I just wanted to kill the guy and get my mask back. Yeah. You know? Or he starts walking off and Laurie Strode's almost half dead, but he's probably screaming at... Like, the idea that he wouldn't kill... The actual Michael Myers wouldn't kill her then is worse. If he just was like, no, I won't. I'll do it some other time, and walked off. Or it was just like... like, I'm going to recover now, and you can still be out there. Yeah, or it was like, it was never about you, and I'm not actually interested in killing you tonight, or ever. You know what I mean? It's like, you've wasted your whole life worrying about me, and, you know... um, and also, if you don't take any of the other films into account, he did something in 1978 and then he didn't do anything for 40 years. Yeah. And so that's bonkers, right? Um, uh, so then that's that ending. Or the ending which I which I, I almost guarantee that they... I cannot believe they set up a new killer and then killed him off. Because mm-hmm. you go, you could be doing Scarecrow movies after this because mm-hmm. he was wearing kind of a Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz mask. You go, this is, this, you know, you can make Halloween movies forever and you just change the killer and you go, we've dealt with Michael Myers now yeah. and in universe, Michael Myers still exists, but we've moving on with this other character now. Or it's a guy that's adopted the Michael Myers mantle. And so obviously the ending for this film was exactly as it played out where uh, the guy, the new killer gets killed in the hallway and then uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers have a fight. She kills Michael Myers. Michael Myers is dead. And then there's a shot of the hallway and he's not there anymore. And then that's the end of the movie yeah. where you kind of like go. I also think they must have. I think they that, must. That must have been the ending, yeah. right? I think. And, I, and, and almost, I think a point halfway through, I went, OK, so that's the ending. And that's not the ending. It's not the ending. The ending. Well, there's two things, again, that I haven't mentioned yet that I haven't didn't like about it i didn't like the sort of sudden introduction of like it's hard not to see it as some magical element when it's like he's somehow transposed a bit of his kind of you can probably write off and say i guess it isn't strictly magic I thought, but it is weird i it thought it becomes was, a bit supernatural i thought it was weird but i saw it more as symbolic rather than it was magic yeah so that's what that's how there's i a, think I'd there's a bit in the sewers where old michael myers transfers his soul into this new killer and it is either him transferring his soul into this new killer or it's him looking at this young man in the eyes and going oh he's evil too yeah or which is weird yes. uh is it I just think that you can't introduce transferring of souls into part three of a film that's trying to be like the series. Grim and this gritty. is the real. This is the real life version of it. But then I kind of like if you're going to do that, fine, you've done it. I've never been like I don't want because they put themselves in a corner by doing this in the first place by like going Michael Myers is sixty, yes. right? So it's like. He's, he's more than 60. I, I'm not interested in... I'm he not must inter- be about 75 at this point. I'm not interested in watching 75-year-old geriatric Michael Myers going around being this unstoppable killing machine. What does anyone want out of this franchise? The, th- the only thing you can do is, um, is end it. Yeah. And you did that in H2O. Yeah. Right? And then... And, and, so, and so everyone was like, I can't believe they ended this trilogy like this. It's just like... 
They're going to make another one. This is in ten years' time. You're going to be, look back yeah. on this as a classic and go, "Oh, at least they tried to do something different." You know, this. I think this is going to age really. I. I mean, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, but um, I think that this episode is going to age. Um, is going to age quite well mm-hmm. because it was different. I, this new trilogy was basically one film that you've stri- spread over three films and you finally found something new to say by the third film and then because you've done that, you've rushed it. You, I, don't, I don't disagree with anything you've said. Um, I think what it really shows is like how shit this whole trilogy's been. That's sure. what, that to me was like totally pointless. By the end, it feels like worthless. It's like you've, you've watched three films to find out that you didn't really have a good plan. They locked him in a building and set it on fire. He's dead. And then in the next one, he was hiding behind a door and then he kills all of the firemen. And you kind of like go, well, that's, that's not... That cliffhanger is like an old-school cliffhanger yeah. where the car has gone over the bridge and everyone in the car has blown up. And then in the beginning of the next episode, there's a cutaway shot of everyone jumping out of the yeah. car and it going, oh, we're all right again. It's like, that is not a satisfying conclusion to the... Cl- in Halloween Kills, it's not a satisfying conclusion to the cliffhanger okay. that you've left in Halloween, Halloween. So, yeah, it doesn't hold together as a trilogy, also, but... Also, by the end, like, I, I think this plot with the, with the new killer... I kind of don't really. I thought he was great as well. Yeah, I thought the actors all very good. It all that's that's one thing. Then when you get the final bit, which is what the whole what they've said it's all been building up to, the idea that Michael Myers is killed, right, and then they have the second film that, if it has a point, seems to be about well, mob justice is wrong. Essentially, all the police of Haddonfield go well. Let's absolutely destroy the body of this uh of this monster with mob justice with mob justice (laughs) and they do it and it presumably it's the only reason i I think the reason they've done it is we'll put him in like not even a car crusher is it it's a thing that basically will disintegrate you it's a a car mincer the car mincer so basically all the police and laurie strode conspire to take uh, and, and basically, everyone in Haddonfield steps out, and I wouldn't mind that if it was that's how he was killed. That everyone sort of basically is like, no, this is this is our sort of monster, our demon that's in this town. But they all kind of conspire. They drive him, put him, put him in a mincer, and what you get when he's being killed is it really becomes an odd thing because you get to see the kind of age of the man. And it makes it weirder that there's this guy who's about 75 or 80 it's, it being make... thrown into a mincer. And because they need to do it, they go, oh, we need to make it clear that he can't come back. So they've, put in, they've given him the one death that can be like, he can't come back from that. And they put him in a mincer and he goes through it, through this kind of mob mentality. Everyone kind of goes, yeah, let's get him. And the whole point of the last film was like, oh, it's dangerous. Yeah, but it's not a trilogy. And they had a break and they went, do we really just want to do a... Th-? They were like, I think they didn't like Halloween Kills. And I think they were like, 
do we want to just continue this or should we just do something? And they were like, I, it's a three o'clock in the morning decision where you kind of go, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, I've got it. Okay, we'll have a new killer and we, it won't be a continuation anymore. Yeah. It'll be something else. And you go, like, go, great. So as its own film, as its own thing, in a, in a franchise where you can ignore two of them because Rob Zombie made them, you can ignore the eighth one because the seventh one did it better, you can ignore the fourth, fifth and sixth, Sixth one because they're a trilogy. You can ignore the third one because it's not it's an anthology and it's not part of the thing. You can ignore the second one because they're brother and sister in it and you don't want that. You've, in a in a franchise where there's only one film that really exists, yeah. it's like do whatever the fuck you want. We've already well, seen everything that you can yeah. do with it. You fucked it up consistently. This would be fine. This film would be fine. But Halloween 4 had to set up where Jamie Lloyd was going to be the new killer and then they didn't do it in Halloween 5. So it's just like, just just do something. And they've done something different. And I... Like, none of these films are high art. Halloween isn't my favourite John Carpenter film. You know, I think it's great for what it, for what it is. It was a low budget indie movie that was kind of like, how do we do a, a quickie horror movie that will make enough money at the drive-in cinemas? And it ended up being the most successful independent movie of all time and launched John Carpenter's career, where he went to make bigger and better films for about a fifteen year period. <laughs> um, but, uh, but but the franchise is so disjointed and fucked up in the first place that how can anyone just be angry at this film going, oh, you've done it, you've not, you, you know... No, I think it's, I think that the anger isn't... What you said is right, but the problem with it is they've done it as if it's... My problem with all of it, I think, is David Gordon Green. This whole version of it. It's, like, unacceptable. Unacceptable that that is your first, second and third film. Yeah. No, sure. I That's get, my problem. I get and that. And as, as a thing where if they did, if they basically said, oh, we're going to do um, a sequel, let's say they rejigged Halloween end, uh, Halloween Kills and they put a proper ending on it and they went, right, that's your three. Old, and that's the end of Jamie Lee Curtis. And then they went, well, these films are all done well. Now, we've now, Universal are going, we, we now obviously need to reboot it. But you did really well with that last film. So if this was now like the sort of continuation without any of the backstory and they went back to David Gordon Green and said, oh, yeah, do you want to just do another one? And he said, yeah, how about there's a new killer? I'd be, I think I'd be perfectly happy. With and that. I think that either, either they kill off Michael Myers at the end of Kills, like what you yeah. were saying, and then this whole film is about the emergence of a new killer which I would be on board with, yeah. right? Because I, I like, not, it's never, it's not like there's nothing, something wrong with Haddonfield, and it's all there's always going to be something. I'm not interested in watching a 70 year old Jamie Lee Curtis going head to head with a 75 year old Michael. I'm not interested in it, and so, I know that's not what I wanted. And in actual fact, that's what I thought was going to be shit about this film was it was going to be two hours of like unrealistic um, dread, and it's just kind of like, and it was unrealistic. Um, I thought that he was going to kill Michael Myers in the sewer halfway through and that he was going to um, either adopt the mantle of Michael Myers, which I don't think he needed to. I thought that that little scarecrow mask he was wearing was creepy as fuck and his bodily movements. It's like when they have that party scene and he puts the mask on and he can finally be himself. I was like, that's incredible. But then he takes the mask off and he's still enjoying himself. And it's just like, surely the whole point is that when you are um, 
uh, you know, the whole of Haddonfield thinks you killed a child when you were babysitting him because all of the evidence was off, but you got off on a technicality. That doesn't make sense. You should have been in death row or it should have just been an accident with no circumstantial evidence mm-hmm. and uh, and everyone just assumed that you were a killer, right? Yeah. Um, there was just a little bit of doubt, but there's yeah. no doubt because he's holding the knife and he's shouting, I'm going to murder you, whatever it was, right? What I did but, like about but, it... But oh. hang on. So, so either, either you set it up so that you've got this new killer and you kill off Michael Myers in the film, or, um, or you don't have Michael Myers in the film at all. Hmm. Um, it just, yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I'm just saying that when I watched it in the cinema, I just loved the fact that he was wearing like a boiler suit at the beginning of the film. And that, and it's not the most subtle thing. It wasn't subtle at all, I suppose. But I know that my girlfriend doesn't know the franchise at all, and it wasn't something that she was even looking for or picking mm-hmm. up on. And I was just like going, "Oh, he's wearing the boiler suit already." So he, he's. I did not need him to be taking the mask off Michael Myers and putting it on himself, and then becoming Michael Myers, the new Michael Myers. Don't. I thought what this whole film was doing was setting up a world without Michael Myers. So to have him put on the mask again at the end is you kind of like go. Okay, so you're just going to do more Michael Myers movies. Where's he even going to get a new mask from for the rest of the franchise? That mask was made in 1978 that Michael Myers stole from a... Randomly. Like, why is there so much, like, um, regard for this mask when it was just a random mask in the first film? So this little scarecrow mask was kind of like, if you're going to do that with the rest of the franchise, then I don't really have a problem with that. I can take or leave it. But that's fine. But if you're just going to reboot it and make Michael Myers into... Michael Myers isn't Jason Voorhees. Jason Voorhees is um, is a zombified man-child who is incredibly angry that wants to go around killing teenagers that... I mean, the motivations are probably pretty much the same. But Michael Myers, uh, Michael Myers is a human being with kind of, um, I guess... He is such a psychopath that he can't feel pain and nothing can kill him. But Jason Voorhees has been killed many times and then resurrected and brought back to life again. So they're not not—they're similar, but they're not the same. Mm. And so what you, have to, what, you, what, what you do with Jason Voorhees is you can just bring him back over and over again forever and ever and ever. But what you have to deal with with Michael Myers is that the first film is set in 78 yeah. and... Um, he's a real human being that is going to age the same way as any other human being. So get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think all that's true. I think there's, there is that thing in it where there's, this feels much more like a lot of the deaths in this are also like revenge based in that way that I always quite like the randomness of it. And the only one that feels like that is when the guy's dad is killed. When you go, yeah, that feels too, you know, that's the that's the only one that feels Halloweeny. There's like a certain thing where you go, this feels Halloween. When which guys die? Do you know the guy who's like the the dad of the the, the main guy, the, the main killer. guy. And that's the only when he one dies where outside goes, the yeah. junkyard. And you go, ah, okay, that feels Halloweenish to me. And the other ones feel like revenge killings. Yes, yeah, and and they are revenge killings. And you've set up a thing where. Um, you've got a new killer with new motivations, mm. but he's not replacing uh, Michael Myers. He is a parallel of yeah. 
of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, mm. where it's like if if things had gone wrong or different on that night, then and it's not the same. It's not like a direct because because Michael Myers was there and she did protect the children mm. from Michael Myers and she saved their lives. Whereas the little shitty kid was pretending to be Michael Myers and was scaring the guy and then he accidentally died. And you're meant to sort of hate the kid anyway. Mm. And and mm-hmm. so what they wanted was the setup was is it going to be Michael? Is it not? Yeah. And that's why the knife and everything is there. And then when he is absolutely framed for it, he should have gone to prison. Yeah. To, in a throwaway line of dialogue by the band camp, yeah. that, that are all the bullies, uh, the school. Or even it starts off post credits. He's coming out of prison because they could only do a manslaughter, and four years. He's had four years in prison. And and it's Always like, and there wasn't enough evidence to put him away for longer. But it's just like, then why have you put all of this evidence yes. in there? That's it. It's just there's so many little things like that all the way through that feel like, oh, after this sort of dynamite ten minutes at the start, that just like the rest of the film brilliant. sort of undoes that. Yeah, that ten minutes. Well, maybe you've talked me around to. I, but also, you know maybe you've talked me around. I just think <laughs> that. I just think that. Um, my way of enjoying it, and I haven't, I didn't intellectualize it going in, but my way of enjoying it was uh, I, and I'm, I'm not saying that I switched my brain off, but I sort of just took it as part 13 of a weird, disappointing franchise anyway. They're going to make some more. So it's not like Michael, yeah. everyone's like, this is Michael Myers' swan song. And you're kind of like, it's not. He's coming yeah. back. And, um, and H2O did everything I needed for for that. You know, she cut his head off. And I didn't watch Resurrection. I don't need to watch Resurrection, but she it's over. It is done. John Carpenter will still get paychecks in the future, but I think he's put it to bed. I think uh, John Carpenter, off these three films, has definitely got the 10 million that he wanted when he wanted yeah. when he and turned I, I down feel like so H2O. much of this thing for Jamie Lee Curtis and for John Carpenter is a bit of a payout on a thing that they've... You know, and I think for Jamie Lee Curtis, I don't... And it sounds like I'm being disparaging. I don't mean to be. I think she's done lots of things. But I think for Jamie Lee Curtis in her career, this is the one thing that keeps coming back round in a kind of... That was... As it turned out, for everything she's done, Halloween is the thing that keeps coming back. Well, that's her signature role. That's her signature role. It's her signature role. And I think this is her kind of embracing that. But I think what she's also doing is embracing some money and going... I'll do it, but I do want to get paid for this one. I sort of think that... And I think same with Carpenter. I sort of think that that's what H2O was. I think H2O was the cash grab. And um, and she has gone on record and said she was disappointed with how it turned out and all that stuff. So I think that that was, that was it. And then now she's here and you see, like, Indiana Jones is coming back and uh, Rambo's coming back and Rocky, you know, and, and all in, in the space between H2O and 2018... All of these legacy characters were coming back, and she was like, she monopolized on the slasher film uh, resurgence in the nineties. But she was like, "Oh, I've got a character that I could bring back, but I've done it." Mm. And so the only way to do that is to wipe it all out. And I, good for her, absolutely. I think this is done for. This is her being frustrated with H two O. Uh, this is her getting a chance to work with John Carpenter again. This is new blood getting brought into the franchise. This is her going, right, well, let's put it to bed and let's do it properly. Mm. But they didn't do it properly. No. And, and the problem is, I think, that she had done it properly 
And the problem with this is they've already done, they've already made the legacy movie of Halloween. They did it already. And and you could do H2O. <laughs> yeah. Or you could do 2018. Yeah. And by doing 2018, you can't do a lot of the stuff that you've already done in H2O because you're saying that that doesn't count. Yeah. So you can't really redo H2O. So even though H2O was done about... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, it's like, so like, now, yeah. you're, now you're like going like... Well, you're reinventing the wheel. You're kind of like, well, well, we can't do any of that. So what do we do now? We're yeah. coming up with another thing. Why is she still in Haddonfield? Yeah, she would know. There's no way that she'd still be in there. She wasn't even in Haddonfield by Halloween four. She, you know, she'd already moved out and she'd changed her identity and uh, she'd uh, put her kid in with the foster family and changed their name. And you know what I mean? She'd already moved on from Haddonfield, like by the mid eighties. So why is she still? In, why are you there? Why are you still there? If you're haunted by this guy that tried to kill you. And I think now they're all said and done. I don't know what the. I haven't read up on what people think about this one. Other than I assume they don't like it but it does feel like for all that bluster about we're bringing the gang back together and we're doing a proper halloween sequel it just feels well you didn't and if anything the one you did in 1998 that none of you seem like you're happy about yeah was better i think well you did it in one film that didn't need to be done in three films but um but yeah i think um uh as as a film which is has got everything stacked against it and it's part three of a, of a trilogy that I haven't enjoyed. I enjoyed it. I, 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 I don't, I'm not saying it's good. I think there's mm. two camps of people on, on the internet. Half the people are saying it's the worst film ever made. They can't believe that this is how they ended the franchise. They haven't. They're mm. going to make another one. Um, and then the other half of people that are saying, let me convince you that this film is genius. It's not. It is a deeply flawed film yeah. for all of the reasons that I've said. But it is also possible to enjoy something. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think... disagree. I think everything you said, you've kind of convinced me. And I go, yeah, you're right. It won't matter in the future because it will just be another one. I just think as a thing which is now it'll be the part way, of It'll David... be the weird one where, yeah. where you go, hey, remember they made a Halloween film where Michael Myers was hardly in it? Yeah. Do you mean Halloween 3? Yeah, but not that one. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bonkers thing to do as part of your... David Gordon Green. It's not a plan. It's not a plan. It's like the Star Wars yeah. trilogy where you kind of like go, well, you wouldn't plan to do this, right? Yeah. Where um, you got the first one, which is a retread of the f- of the first one. Yeah. And then you got the middle one, which is like they said that one doesn't happen. Where, where, where you got the middle one, where um, it's set over a very limited amount of time, where not a lot happens in the grand story. The story doesn't progress on any level. Uh, where in Star Wars they were stuck in traffic, weren't they? They ran out of petrol. Right. And then in this one, he's just killing some people. He's just he's treading water until the finale. And then you got the third one, which is like, what's this? No one wanted what? Okay, okay. But I, I think it. you're right. I think as a, as a concept, there's nothing wrong with the concept. There's nothing wrong with that. As 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 when you think of it, Halloween twelve or thirteen, you go, sure, that's another version of it. I, and my problem with it is it's just part of this. And I think it's more like the... I'm not... I don't have a problem with it as a film so much. I have a problem with this idea that this is part of the definitive version. Yeah, this is the definitive end of these. There's four films and this is number four, the end. And you go, well, then you're mental yeah. to think that. Yeah, you're absolutely. You're mental to think that. Absolutely, absolutely. 
But it's a franchise where you can pick and choose, yeah. right? And and I think that that's great. It's yeah. a choose-your-own-adventure. And I would probably go Halloween, Halloween 4, Halloween H2O, and then Halloween Ends. And are there any others in this? And then I would watch Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and I will ignore 5 and 6. Uh, I'll never watch Resurrection, not through any choice, but... What's the point? And then I, I, I don't feel the need to watch 2018 or um, mm-hmm. Kills again. Yeah. And it's kind of like, right, I've got everything I need out of it. And the Rob Zombie ones, I will always yeah. watch them if they're on telly. Yeah. If uh, I find them fascinating. Just like, you wanted to do this. No, but it does, because all it is is you've done that, you've done the legacy film, and then it's like, ah, oh, what we got now? Remake, remake. And the idea that they continued after the remake to go... Another legacy one. It's like you, you, it's been done. Yeah, and I think that was always a problem with that project. And I was, and I didn't see it at the cinema. I think I was even a bit like ah, oh. but then it kind of won me over with the idea that what am I doing? It's mad. It's Carpenter's back. They're doing a proper. It's the proper. It's the proper official legacy mm. film. Carpenter's rubber stamped it, and it was like yeah, I'm back in. And I watched it. Hearing how good it was, and I was a bit like, I thought it was like, okay. I thought it was okay, and then from a, an okay beginning, it's just been like worse and worse. Sure, but what I would say is, I, it's the first time since 1978 that I've seen Laurie Strode on film, and I was like, oh, that's her. I can you can pinpoint right. that that scene, and I was happy to just see. For the majority, I think it would have been a fitting end. And I can't believe that people... I, I understand. If you're a Michael Myers fan, you want more Michael Myers. But um, but from a Halloween fan, I was really happy spending some time with Laurie Strode where she was a ha- in a happier place and she'd got a lot of closure. And I could have had the whole film like that. And at the end, when she's slashing his wrists and slashing his neck and letting him bleed out, I was virtually screaming at the screen, chop his fucking head off. Chop his head off. Cut his hands off. Cut his feet off. <laughs> chop him up. Do you know what I mean? It's like... Put him in a mensa. Cut his fuck. You've got a fucking carving knife and you're delicately sli- slitting his throat to be, like, symbolic of something. Like, or like you've, bled the, you've bled the franchise out. But just saw his fucking head off and take the mask off and make sure it's him. Do you know what I mean? It's like you're watching it just like none of the characters are acting like characters would now. And it's it's ridiculous. Anyway. um, How long was that? (laughs) That was an hour and 41 minutes. I think that that's fine, right? Because what we'll do, do, guys, um, is that basically me and Nat love talking about films. Um, We had our old show, uh, if you've got this far, you know, if you're painting a wall or whatever. But we had our old show, which was fan club, uh, where we were um, we had like a, a strict time limit. And now we're doing our own thing. We're just trying to find our feet with this new project, um, which in our heads was going to be kind of like a, kind of a continuation of the last thing. But um, but if you want more like in depth chats like we did today. Um, then let us know. And if you'd rather it be concise and you can get on with your life in uh, in 55 minutes, then uh, let us yeah. know. Let us know that way. Um, but I think that this is fine as an episode. And um, 
uh, and I've enjoyed talking to you so do I. about I like, the Halloween I like franchise. That you, have, um, that you have kind of convinced me that actually it wasn't as bad as I thought. I just thought the opening was just, as a short film me even, too. it was incredible. I agree. And, and, and I think that everything that was wrong about the film was um, bringing Michael Myers back and mm. bringing... I liked Jamie Lee Curtis. I, like I said, I just thought it was... An, I, I was happy to... See, I don't want to see the last conclusion of Halloween taking that girl from the original and turning her into Sarah Connor from Terminator. Yeah. And, 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 like, who's that for? They did it with Terminator. Mm. They do. It's it's kind of like they did it with Sigourney Weaver. You know, they um, in Alien. It's it's kind of like you take a character that used to be soft and gentle, and then you turn him into a killing machine. You kind of like go, yeah, all right, we've done that. You've yeah, done that over done. and over again. It's been done. Where's the humanity to this? Surely the whole thing that she's fighting for, the whole terror of the franchise is that you're taking your normal life and it, it, this serial killer has come through and it's destroyed everything and isn't it nice to be reminded of what they were fighting for in the first place and seeing Laurie in that really like um, happy state I was just like this is the conclusion that I'm happy with obviously the film is a mixed bag and some of it is it ranges from I would say a four-star movie to a, a one-star movie within the same film. But that opening was incredible. Oh, I totally agree. But they completely undermined it in the very next scene <laughs> where it's kind of like, oh, yeah, but none of that makes sense. Why did you do it that way? Yeah. But anyway, um, I loved it. If the, if the <laughs> film had broken down at that point, I'd probably go away thinking, what a movie. Yeah. They've really nailed it. I've never had that reaction in the cinema where I've gone, whoa! Oh, yeah, I was really and excited. And me, me and Amy were just staring at each other for fucking like, what What was that? What was that? I was really excited. I thought, I'd heard it wasn't good. And when the thing started and the music kicks in, I was like, yeah, come on, this is it. But I do also find that like, it was very difficult to follow what was going on because the dates were all over the place. But anyway... Yeah. Um, I'm sure if you uh, scan back to the beginning of this conversation, you can find what our part thoughts one. were about that, part one. Uh, okay, right. Okay, so it's time for the game. Right. Okay. So, can... so the game is called... What, what year? year? What year? It's the what game. year? Nick Helm is famous for either knowing the year of things or being one year out. So this is the game that tests that theory. What year? Is there a theme to this one? No. No. Okay. No. Okay. What year? What year? Did the sitcom Friends end? Oh, end? Yeah. 2002. 2004. Oh, my God. Right, yeah, that makes sense. What year did the film The Birds come out? Hmm, okay, I rushed that one. And when you take a bit of a moment to think, you go, it didn't start in 1992, did it? Ace Ventura came out with Courtney Cox yeah, and then did. the TV series spin-off. You've got to think. Where think. you go, oh, God, that's how you... you get yourself down. That's how you work it out. And then you go, well, it wouldn't be 93, it'd be 94, and then it would be in 2004, 10 years, yes, of course. The Birds came out in... Oh, is it before or after Psycho? Psycho was 60... Before that was North by Northwest. So after that, 1963. Correct! Right. What year was Julia Roberts born? <clears throat> Julia Roberts. So uh, Pretty Woman was 1990. So she would have been about 22 in that. So 
I would say that Julia Roberts was born in... What's... I can't do this. 1990... Uh, 1967. Correct! <laughs> oh, my God. Right. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's loving it. It's exciting. What year did John Belushi die? John Belushi? OK, right. So it was before Ghostbusters. Yeah. But after Blues Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> so he died in... While Dan Aykroyd was writing... Ghostbusters because he wrote a line of dialogue when he found he was writing dialogue for John Belushi for Ghostbusters when he found out that he died. So I'm going to say 1982. Yes, correct. This is good. Soylent Green was released in 1973, but in which year was it set? Ooh. (sighs) Okay. It will be something like 1995. No. Uh, I don't I don't know this one. 2022. 2022. This year. Oh, wow. This year. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, even Owen Wilson's sort of... Even Tom Hiddleston's impression of Owen Wilson is confused. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the TV show Moonlighting started mm. in what year? Uh, 1985. Yes. The character Batman first appeared in what year? Oh, okay. So. It's before Tim Burton's one. It was after Superman, (laughs) which was 40s? Or was it 30s? I must be in 30s. So Batman, 1939? 1939. Was correct. it? Oh my god! Was it really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. The character Alan Partridge made this... his first radio appearance in what year? 1991. Yes! Okay, sure. The book Jaws by Peter Benchley was published in what year? 1972? Three. No. 70? No. 69? No. 68? No. 71? No. 75? No. 74? Yeah! Was it really? Yeah, mad. Oh, no, of course it was. Of course it was. Of course it was. Oh, ask me again. Why? <laughs> the book, yeah. Jaws, by Peter Benchley, was published... In what year? 1974. Yeah, Because what they did was, um, it was a huge book. And uh, No, but that's not what happened, was it? This is what happened with Psycho. Psycho was a huge, was was this book that Alfred Hitchcock read and then they bought every single copy of it so that no one could read it. Uh, And I guess that would have put it into like uh, some sort of, you know, top ten list. They probably put it through that um, mincing machine that Michael Myers ended up in. So they, so so they bought all the books, so no one would know the ending. But like but it with, sold so well, it was big deal. Yeah, but with Jaws, I guess it was just like oh, this is big. With books, I guess you got to act fast before so yeah, so everyone I guess knows it. Immediately it. went, yeah, we're having that now. Right. Okay. Both the UK. What year? Both the UK and US comic characters Dennis the Menace started in the same year. The US and the UK. So Dennis the Menace for the blonde hair, the American one. Yeah. And Dennis the Menace from the Beano. Mm-hmm. Both started in the same year. Mm. But what year? Oh, God. Right. So it's either going to be like 50s, but Beano feels like such an 80s thing that it might have been 78 or something. 
but he's not given me anything. This isn't. This isn't so much. I know information. This no, is. This is. I could. This is like I'm Sherlock Holmes, and I can right, yeah. use surrounding information. Sure. I'm exactly like Sherlock. Well, you're a bit like Stanley Tucci, the killer in I'm, the. Uh, I'm more like Sherlock Gnomes yes. uh, from the movie. Anyone? Sherlock Gnomes. Sherlock Gnomes. Yeah. That's right. Um, okay, Dennis the Menace and Dennis the Menace were both created in 1976. Okay, 1964. Okay, 1955. Okay, 1981. No, go on. 1951. Oh, man, it was... Yeah, yeah. That's it, that's one year. And what did I get? You got... Oh, good point. You got... One, two... Three, four, five, six. Six spot on. Six spot on, and then a couple own, that are one year No, out. you didn't get any. They're all spot on. Were they? Yeah, yeah. But only six? Six. Oh, I guess I got friends wrong, and I got jaws wrong, and I got... Dennis and Menace. Dennis and Menace wrong. And Soylent Green. And Soylent Green. Okay, yeah, that, that, that adds up. Okay, okay right. Well, um, that's we've come to the end of a, of a bumper edition. Oh. It was you good basically, fun, I enjoyed it. Basically, I had a great time. You, you wouldn't plan a trilogy like this. No. Uh, this was part two, which no. is basically a bumper episode. While we've been, while we've been recording this episode, it's gone dark. Yeah, it's now pitch black, and we're only lit. <laughs> we're only lit by uh, <laughs> our phones and the technology that we've used to record this thing. Thankfully, the red light is on, and I have recorded it. Um, okay, great. Um, let Thank us know you what you listening. thought of the episode. Thanks for listening. Do you um, need rem- I don't think we did the email address, did we? Yeah, sure. Um, if you've got any questions, uh, you're listening to Consumer and Obey. If you want to tell us to watch something, then we will watch it, um, you know, within reason. Uh, and uh, uh, that email address that you want to write into I'm pretty sure is, we didn't do it before, you're is right. It's nickandnatsjcas at gmail.com. So that is N-I-C-K-A-N-D-N-A-T-J-C-A-S at sign G. M A I L dot C O M. Uh, write in, um, tell us what you think of the show, uh, let us know uh, what you think we need to improve. We're learning the technology, so this makes us sound very old, but we are getting old and we either need to get on board or fuck off, and so we're getting on board and we're doing it. Uh, probably going to edit that bit out. Now, um, that, what, what is there left to say? Well, I just want to say that I appreciate you, Nick. And I appreciate you too, Nat. Later, Later, losers! losers.